media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Philippians 2. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30 this morning. How many of you get excited when you look over travel plans that maybe perhaps you have spent months developing? How many of you get really excited about that? Okay, and you kind of go through itinerary, and here's the plans. Here's where we're going to go. Here's where we're going to eat. That gets pretty exciting. Uh, the attractions you might see uh, along the way. Second question. How many of you get really excited when you're looking over somebody else's travel plans? Yes, yeah, so I, I see a couple of those hands because you just like travel and all that. You know, somehow it diminishes when you kind of go from, okay, this is what I'm going to experience with my family. These are the plans we've made. And then all of a sudden it's just somebody else's travel plans. But the reason why I put that out there this morning is because the last part of Philippians chapter 2 is kind of like that. In one way, all we get is some details that Paul gives us about Timothy and this man named Epaphroditus. And it's kind of their travel plans. I hope he gets to come visit you. And if he doesn't, then he's going to be the messenger. And if I'm still in prison, then maybe eventually I can come. And there's a part of this passage. I say this in total reverence, guys. I say this in total respect of God's word. Um, that seems a little dry. It just seems a little data. It just seems like, okay, here's the information. It's, how many of you had to write papers back in high school, college, and the teacher would say, okay, a four-page paper? And you ran out of material after three pages or three and a half pages. And so you just kind of filled in. You just kind of elaborated. You just kind of put more filler in there. In one way, please hear the reverence to this. In one way, we can look at this passage, these 12 verses, and see it as kind of filler. Just kind of information. There's no real doctrine there. It's no big discovery of theology or something like that. What we see is just kind of a filler. And I was really tempted this week to... um, kind of skip on and go into chapter 3 and to kind of go over this and just make a quick reference. Hey, in verses 19 through 30, we see Paul giving some instruction about what Timothy and this other gentleman might do. Folks, we're an expository church. And there may be sometimes that we say kind of just wrap up a passage of two or three verses or that we're going to take maybe as many as 10 or 12 verses and, and kind of do a passing thought, but that will not be often. If we truly believe that every word of God truly has purpose, ordained, and if we are going to be an expository church, then let's just not kind of skip over verses, you know, 12 verses that have value here. At the same time, I will tell you, I'm being totally transparent. I don't know of a pastor that I know that says, you know, I can't wait to preach this week. I have picked out this selection. You know, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Man, it is rich. Because I don't know that there would be a single pastor that would look at that from that perspective with everything else that's there and say, okay, this is just what I want to preach this week. But we're an expository church. If we value the word of God, if we value every word, then let's value this. And so I asked that this morning, not that, okay, this is going to be a boring sermon. I hope that it's not a boring sermon. I hope that it's not just data for you, but that as we begin to uncover, as we begin to look deeper, that we begin to say, okay, this is why Paul used this passage. This is why Paul thought it was important, not just in his letter to the Philippians, but that God ordained in his word, here's what I want you to learn 
from this passage. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through uh, 30 this morning, um, it really is kind of the, the culmination of what he's been discussing in what we've looked at the last four or five weeks in Philippians chapter 2. We've gone kind of piecemeal through each passage and each part of that passage, and we begin begin to um, discover certain things. We begin to see that there's a challenge that Paul brought to not just the Philippians, but to all of us as Christians to think more highly of others than we do ourselves. And we said, that's just not natural. That's not the bent of our DNA, and it's especially not the bent of our fallen DNA after sin entered into this world. And so he asks us to do something that is really incredible. But then he points to an example, and he says, but have this attitude, have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And we begin to see that. And then we begin to see that not only has he challenged us to have this kind of mindset, given us in great detail the example of Jesus Christ, but then he gets down to the core. Hey, you can do this if Christ truly lives in you. In fact, let's pick up there. Philippians 2.13, one of the most important verses in this passage. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Really important for us to understand that this isn't us on a self-improvement class. This is not us becoming a better version of our previous self. In one of my discipleships this week, we finished out Mere Christianity, if you've ever uh, read, studied Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, the, the last chapter, how do you close a book about Mere Christianity? And the last two chapters in that challenging book by C.S. Lewis talks about new man, not just an improved model. And as we were looking at this week and going, okay, if we get this, that truly now we are new creations in Jesus Christ, and this isn't just us digging down deeper to be better people, but now the very Spirit of God lives within us to empower us. That's what Philippians 2.13 is saying. Look what it says. For it is God who does what? He does two things. Works in you both to do what? What is he working toward? to give you a will to desire to think of others more than you would yourselves, and then to work that out for his good pleasure. Guys, this is not self-improvement. This is not a life coach. Paul's not acting out in such a way that he just expects for everybody to kind of take a, a class and then instantly be just become kinder, gentler people. No. As we saw last week, as we begin to see, if God is in you, Generally in you, authentically in you, how is that not going to work out? How is that not going to show out? And so when we have this challenging verse of Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves. I, I love the ESV version of this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is not Bobby becoming a better person trying to just love on us. No, it's Christ in Bobby helping me to think on a way that I would never think of on my own, but to will and to want to do his will. And so, guys, as, as in one way, I know that many of you would say, okay, Bobby, I get that. I get that. I, we've studied it for four weeks now. Well, that's what he's wrapping up now by giving two examples. If you're a Christian... Remember, it's just impossible for the New Testament 
uh, writers to think that Christ isn't going to show out. If Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, Christ is going to empower you, enable you to have the same attitude that Christ has. And that attitude will turn into actions. Do you believe that? I mean, Paul's preaching. It is God's word. Ultimately, Paul is the messenger. He's the one that is inspired to write it, but it's God's word. And it's important for us to remember that this is the challenge when we really get into those difficult things to have the mind of Christ. How many of you were challenged last week to think like Jesus? And how many times did you fail to think like Jesus? That's challenging. And so he comes back and it's not just, okay, here's the high mark that you have to jump over to get approval from God. No, our approval is the finished work of Christ. And now that Christ is in us, the very spirit of holy God is within us. Now we can do things that were truly impossible for us to do before. It's in this context that Paul begins to use Timothy and a man by the name of Epaphroditus as examples of what this looks like in real uh, real life and real action. Do you believe that attitudes eventually work themselves out to actions? And then actions can actually then develop more attitudes. But our attitude, I mean, have you ever been grumpy just because you're grumpy? And has that ever worked itself out? Have you ever been ecstatic over something, excited over something? Has it worked itself out? Attitudes, especially core attitudes, work themselves out. And Paul points to these two people. They were not perfect people. They were not people that had it all figured out, but they had Christ in them. And eventually he's using this hope that he sees in Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says, okay, these are examples of when attitudes work themselves out to actions. Look at verse 19 and 20. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now remember, Paul is in prison. We're not sure. Scholars kind of debate back and forth. Is he in a home prison type setting under house arrest? Or is he actually in a really bad prison? We don't know. There's a case to be made for both. It's really not important for us to know exactly if this is under house arrest or if it's really imprisonment in a prison back in those days. The fact is, he can't go see the people that he wants to see in in Philippi. He wants to go on this journey himself, but he hasn't been able to. And so he's been using messengers. He hopes that Timothy can go. Aphrodite has already gone, brought some uh, offerings back to Paul. But the bottom line is, he said, okay, I'm going to send you to somebody because I can't come, and I really want to communicate, I want to show my love, and I need somebody who is genuinely loves you generally cares about you. And isn't that what he says in verse 20? For I have no one like him who be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Ultimately, guys, that is the difference between us becoming a self-improvement model and kind of put on a smile. And when the Holy Spirit of God works in your life, creates a new, brand new creation, and you truly, genuinely care about others that you would not have cared about before. That shouldn't be a part of the Christian experience. That should be characteristic 
of the Christian experience. This morning, could you say that that's characteristic of your life? It's okay if you're still on a journey. Remember last week what we talked about? We spent a whole bunch of time talking about sanctification. What is sanctification? This journey now of more and more dying to self, more and more being under the the control of the very Spirit of God, reflecting Christ-likeness in our life. Separating, remember, that's what the word sanctification means, to separate. Separating ourselves from a, a lost culture, from a dead self, and living more and more in the victory of Christ. So this isn't just something that happens every once in a while. This isn't something that should happen just, you know, on, okay, let's just go love people day. But it becomes a characteristic that truly is almost intrinsic now. Why? Because Christ lives in us. And and God is working for his will to empower us to do those things and to love as he's loving. I'm on that journey. Maybe you're on that journey. But it should be a journey, guys. Biblically speaking, it should be a journey that's going up. We're all going to do it at different speeds, different rates, but it should be a journey that is increasing more and more and more. New Testament writers are expecting us as we live in Christ, as he lives in us, and we're living for Christ, that Christ-likeness becomes more and more of our thought, more and more of our attitude, and more and more of our actions. Question, by nature, are we naturally more concerned about ourselves or concerned about others? By nature. Was that a pretty easy question? Did you have to struggle with that? We're pretty self-absorbed, okay? We pretty much, I mean, now, again, we extend that then to maybe a husband and a wife. All of a sudden, you know, there's other person that we think highly of. And then if God blesses us with kids and we decide to have kids, then we kind of extend that a little bit more. And now somebody's like, man, I love my kids. If he gives us the blessing of grandchildren, then it's like, okay, we enlarge that. So it's not that we don't have the capacity of thinking of others more than we do ourselves, but it's usually in that family context. Would you agree? But I mean, would you agree that your coworkers? I don't know where all of you work. I know where some of you work. Are you ever increasing your love for others at work, or do you tolerate them? See, that's the difference. The motivation here, because even when we said that we're more naturally concerned for ourselves, when it's my children and my grandchildren. That's almost natural. That's not supernatural. That's kind of how God wired us up. He's the one that invented family and used family as the structure of human society. But for me to think of others that are not part of my family, others that would be even in opposition of things that I stand for, that I believe, to love them genuinely? Wow, that's really hard. And that's why he points to Timothy. Not just he really loved the Philip. The, the Philippi church, you know, and man, he loves those Philippians. No, he truly loved them in a genuine way. Paul realized this, and he says, I hope to send him to you, because I haven't found anybody like, like him. I, I have nobody else like him that truly has this depth of love and concern. Back in verse 3, look at what it said in verse 2 and 3. Here's our, here's what our original challenge Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Remember the whole chapter on humility? But in humility, do what? Treat people nice. 
What? Say it, church. Count others more significant than yourselves. How many of you have got that down? You've aced that. Wow, what a challenge. Does God give us challenges that are impossible for us to ever accomplish? Is this out of the reign of reality? Or is it something that God gives before us and challenges us with that only can be accomplished by His will, by His power, and by His Spirit? That's what makes the difference between just Paul being a life coach, this being a kind of a rah-rah, kind of motivational kind of, hey, everybody be nice to one another. And the very Spirit of God living within you to where you have a changed heart and a changed mind. You truly do become more and more concerned about others. What a challenge. Paul exhorts us to do the exact opposite of human nature. And the only way that he knows that we can ever accomplish this, to be successful with this, is to operate with a new nature that God gives us and a new attitude, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Paul uses Timothy in verse 25 plus and a man by the name of Epaphroditus as examples of people who are demonstrating this truth that we've been reading about for four weeks now, this humility that shows itself out in a form where truly we are concerned about others. In fact, look at the the description of this man, Epaphroditus. Go down to verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all for you all and has been distressed because he, you heard that he was ill. Somewhere along the way, Epaphroditus is sick. And so we begin to say, okay, how sick was he and how did he get sick? Go down to verse 27. Indeed, he was ill. How does it describe it? Near to death. He, he almost dies. But God had mercy upon him, and not only on him, but also me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He said, I don't want to lose him. This is a great friend. This is an encourager. This is one of my co-laborers. He said, God was merciful not only to spare his life, but actually so I could have my friend around, this guy who encourages me. Who, who helps me in the ministry. Look at verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Well, we said, okay, how sick was he? He was very sick. He almost died. Why? We're never told, except we're told this. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Again, we don't know the illness, We don't know exactly what this meant, the work of Christ, but the Greek that is used there when it talks about this death that almost came to him is the word for neighbor, that it's right next door. In other words, have you ever heard that death was knocking or somebody was knocking on death's door? Probably where we got that phrase because this Greek word means death was right, it was the next door that you passed through. Epaphroditus was really, really sick. God spared him. Well, what does this tell us? It says that he wasn't just sick because there was kind of a cold going around. It says for the work of Christ. These two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are living examples of attitudes and the actions of Christ Jesus and a Christ-like humility. 
I mean, what is this humility of Christ that we're challenged with back in verse 5? Well, we could characterize that in a lot of different ways. But perhaps one of the ones that I love the most, that just speaks to my heart personally so much, is found in Mark 10.45. The disciples have been arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus begins to tell them about what greatness is. Hey, you really want to be great? Be last. You want to be first? Be last. How unnatural is that to you in real life? I mean, it can sound good, guys. The bumper sticker that really sounds good. Come to our church. Well, we pledge we will be last so you can be first. Until the dinner bell. Or like I said a couple weeks ago, getting off the cruise. Whoa, 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 whoa. We standing in line for three hours. You don't just go to the front. How quickly we are reminded that first place is kind of cool. First place is kind of cool, especially if you earned it. Any Georgia fans this morning? It's kind of cool if you earned it. We earned it. Should be number one. And there's a mentality upon us, not just as a culture, not just SEC football, but in us and humanity, that especially when it's us and our families. One of the most sacrificial roles I've ever seen in my life is the role of a mother. Moms, you, you have, I, I've said this before, where a dad can love in fifth gear, and we're, I mean, we're cranking out the RPMs of love toward our kids. Somehow, moms, you have this sixth gear that you hit, and kind of leave us a little bit in the dust. It's just amazing to me. But I believe that that's what God has kind of called you to. And then he has this cool thing called grandparents. And man, it gets even better. It's like, I, I got gear eight now. Forget about myself. I just want a good life for my kids. I want a good life for my grandchildren. How many does that communicate to you this morning that those are real authentic feelings that you have? And so here's the natural persuasion. Not that we have to be first, but if we think that it's valid because of our children or our grandchildren, then we will be last. Would you agree with that? But what about the neighbor? What about the guy at work that hates you? What about the boss who's never said one kind thing to you? I mean, that's the challenge here, guys. Because in a way, when we take care of our own, remember what the Bible says? When you take care of your own, you've just done what is natural to man. It's natural for you to love your kids. It's natural for you to love your grandchildren. You've done nothing but just kind of done what is natural. No, what is not natural is to put somebody else above yourself. And that's the call, Philippians 2. That's what true Christ-like humility. And do you not see that in this? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To what extent is he serving? To give his life as a ransom for many? What's a ransom? It's a pay a, paying a price. A price that you owe? No, that somebody else owes. You're doing it. If somebody says, okay, I demand a ransom, it's for somebody else's benefit. The cost that he's paying is not for his own benefit. He's paying our cost, guys. And this is the model of what it truly believes to be humble, to serve others. He uses this example. 
So we're going to have the attitude of Christ. If we're truly going to reflect an attitude that turns into action, Paul is simply in these verses saying, hey, here's, here's two people that both of you know, church. Timothy and Epaphroditus. You, you know them. You know their reputation. And you truly are glad when they are there with you. Why? Because you see Christ's likeness in them. Question this morning, guys. Are there people in your life that are so Christ-like that God has given you the benefit of putting in your life that when you're around them, you're just better, you're just happier, you're just, your whole spirit is lighter because you're around them and they just, they light up your room. And sometimes that is somebody that's in a familiar sense, a mother, a father, a grandfather, a grandmother. But do you have other people in your life that just the spirit of the living God so resides in them that even if you're having the worst day, they come in and all of a sudden your day's just a little bit better. I have a feeling that's what Paul was saying of Timothy and Epaphroditus here. And it's what he's challenging you and I to be. Not just the brightest smile in the room, but the one that is reflecting Christ in this Christ-likeness, this attitude of truly caring for one another. This attitude of humility that brought about real actions. It brought about here in Christ a willing sacrifice. It brought about an appointment with death. And it brought about a way that you and I could have eternal life. Those actions produced results for me and you. And the challenge here is that we would have the actions of Christ, the attitude of Christ, producing actions of Christ that truly would benefit others. I mean, we're not saviors, and so we can't save people, but certainly we can encourage people. And certainly we can bring hope to people who find themselves in hopeless situations. Final question this morning. If we are Christians and Christ truly lives inside us, has his attitude, his humility worked itself out into the actions of your life? That's chapter 2, kind of in the fullness. When we took all these different sections over the last five or six weeks, bottom line is, is Christ, if he's in you, if he truly is in you, not just you attend church, not just I, I raised my hand in VBS 25 years ago, hey, I got wet in this baptismal pool. No, not, none of those things that can be part of a Christian's life. Do you know the Savior, the one who died on the cross, for our sins. If you know him, is he coming out? Here's one of the real complications of our present culture. We live in a culture, we live in a day with a pandemic, with increasing evil in the world. But one of the things in my nature right now, guys, go buy 10 acres, build three houses, one for Carly and I in the middle, one for the other two kids on each side and kind of put up a wall and kind of come away. There's a part from the pandemic, there's a part of this mentality of the evil in the world where you just want to protect your own. Anybody else kind of feel that a little bit? Maybe not to that extreme. And that's just the opposite of what this is calling us to do. That's leaning in. I get it. I feel it. It's authentic. And yet Christ has said, no, you don't lean in, Bobby. You lean out. Is this leaning in, guys, or is this leaning out? And if we're going to have the attitude of Christ, 
It means that we have to overcome this nature. I mean, I'm telling you guys, it's a real thing. Just buy some land, get my kids, and we'll have fun for the rest of our lives. And while there's nothing inherently evil about that, don't get me wrong, there's nothing inherently evil. The whole mode of faith, the whole attitude of Christ is not a leaning in, but a leaning out. Let's go back to what was said in Philippians 2 in the middle of this chapter. And you tell me, guys, you you tell me, is this a leaning in that we're called to do or a leaning out? Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Is that leaning in or is that a call to lean out? And yet he admits right there, man, you are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. But in the midst of this darkness, you shine out like lights in the world. There's the challenge, church. There's the challenge, Christian. In a time when we just kind of want to trade, do you know that they're having volunteer problems everywhere? They're having them in the church. We have them in our church. They can't get enough baseball coaches anymore. They can't get enough football coaches again. They, almost every place in our society right now, irregardless of it is of the spiritual nature or not, volunteerism is down. You know what my thought of that is? Because, man, we're all leaning in. It's like, man, this is a dangerous world. This is kind of a hard world. Lean in. Take care of your own. And yet in the midst of this world, God says, lean out. Follow the example of the one who said, I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your word, Father. I, I, Father, I confess I did not want to preach this passage. Father, I confess that it seemed really kind of dry and uneventful. And yet, Father, I pray today that as honoring your word, as as trying to be an an expository church and, and really seeing value in every single word, Father, that you would bless, Father, us as a congregation, us as families, and us as individuals today with the challenge that is before us. That when our own nature, Father, says, okay, man, let's just turn in, let's lean in and protect. That is what's most precious to us. That you would call us to be Timothys and Epaphroditus' father. That we would, as Paul described, have a genuine concern about one another. Father, we love you. Father, we end this morning by singing perhaps one of the most traditional, well-known songs ever. But Father, will you even this morning make it fresh and anew, special, deep, that as we sing out on amazing grace today, Father, that this high calling, this attitude turning into actions to lean out into a, a, a really wicked world, that we would understand, Father, that somewhere along the way, somebody told us the story of Jesus. And Father, by your Spirit, you opened our eyes to our lostness and the beauty of a Savior. Father, remind us even this morning of the beauty of the amazing grace that you saved us with. 
and the amazing grace, Father, that you want to happen into the lives of not just family and friends, but co-workers, perhaps even those that we would say they're kind of an enemy. We love you and we thank you as we sing this song to you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.